You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. John chapter 15, our focus today will be on verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading 1 through 17. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am in the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, forgive us for our our laziness and inactivity. And forgive us that so often when we are active, we are not abiding in you, but seeking to work in our own strength and for our own kingdoms. And so grant us repentance now and grant us faith in your holy word that the word might abide in us, that we might abide in Christ and that we might be truly fruitful. Father, grant grace now in the preaching of your word that I might do so abiding in Christ and that by the power of the spirit there might be fruit 
fruit of sanctification in those who know you, fruit of regeneration in those who do not. Make your word fruitful, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We've traded the vine for the assembly line. The natural for the manufactured. The, artifi- the living for the artificial. And this is true of both the saints largely corporately and individually. The church in America largely doesn't abide in the vine. She maintains the assembly line. Pragmatism drives the assembly line. Success is a measurement determined by statistics involving numbers. How many people, how many baptisms, how many churches are planted, how much money, how many missionaries are sent out. Programs, PR, advertising, events, the liturgy, the methodology, even the teaching are determined and shaped and developed not in strict accord with the Scriptures and what God would have, but with what works, what meets this goal of success by numbers. Individually, we don't fare much better, if better at all. We've tried to baptize the world's idea of success. Jesus comes like a supplement to our diet plans. When it comes to our work, our marriages, our homes, our children, our aspirations, our goals, it's not necessarily that we're running after evil things, but we're running after good things as though they were God, all the while asking God to bless our idolatry. Ask yourself, which of these triads characterizes the life of the church, which of them characterizes your life? First triad, busyness, efficiency, success. Not that you are efficient or that you are successful, but striving after those things. Busyness, efficiency, success. Or industry, in the sense of good, hard work, laboring unto the Lord and not unto men. Doing whatever you do hardly as to the Lord and not unto men. Industry, faithfulness, and fruitfulness. So again, busyness, efficiency, success, or industry, faithfulness, fruitfulness. There is not anything inherently evil about being busy, or being efficient, or being successful. But if those are the kind of categories that dominate your thoughts and drive your behavior, then I think something is seriously wrong. Kevin DeYoung explains, Busyness does not mean you are a uh, a faithful or fruitful Christian. It doesn't matter if you relocate your busyness or your efficiency and your success to the realm of the church. Busyness doesn't mean you are a faithful or fruitful Christian, he writes. It only means you are busy, just like everyone else. And like everyone else, your joy, your heart, and your soul are in danger. We need the Word of God to set us free. We need biblical wisdom to set us straight. What we need is the great physician to heal our overscheduled souls. If only we could make time for an appointment. 
Saints, perhaps today is that appointment, that much needed appointment. And perhaps you need to begin just by repenting right now where you sit of striving and chasing after some kind of worldly idea of success. And by faith, seek to abide in Christ right now so that you could be truly fruitful. The vine and the branches. It's a well-known passage, but I wonder how often people take time to consider it in light of its larger context, to, to notice where this vineyard grows. How often has Jesus' words been considered in light of the upper room discourse in which they're found, or they're just isolated? Before we begin to glean any truth directly from our text, let's note four roots of what Jesus says here in what He has been saying. Four roots of what Jesus says about the vine and the branches in the upper room discourse as we have it so far. And there are four prominent roots that I see. First, Jesus has spoken at length concerning our being in Him and His being in us and the indwelling of the Spirit. This corresponds to abiding in Him. His being us, our being in Him, the indwelling of the Spirit, linking to what He's speaking of here, abiding in Him. So John 14, 16 through 17, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, for it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Verses 20 and 21 of the previous chapter. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. 14.23 If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So, first root is this language of abiding in Christ grows out of this language of Christ in us and us in Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit. Second, in those texts that I just read and in our text today and continuing on through John 15, we'll see the root of love for Christ in keeping His commandments connecting this. Third, there is the root of doing the works Jesus does in John 14, Verse 12, and growing out of that, the fruitfulness that's being spoken of here. Doing the works Jesus does corresponds to being fruitful. Fourth, there's the root of fruitful prayer and prayerful fruitfulness in both of these. Verse 7 of chapter, of, of our current chapter. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 14, 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, so those are our roots. Now let's look at what grows from there. 
We have a vine and branches introduced in verses 1 through 2. But that's not saying enough. If I were to ask you to write a heading for this section, what would it be? If you're looking at the ESV right now, see some of you doing that. You notice the heading is, uh, I am the true vine. But if you didn't do that, you were thinking on your own, what would you put? I would guess most of us would put something like what I found in 9 of 16 versions that I looked at just quickly. Which was something to the effect of the vine and the branches. That's what comes to our minds when we think of this passage, the vine and the branches. But there are three figures here, not two. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again slowly. See if we come up with a better heading. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Before we get to the vine and the branches, we have the Father and the Son. We have the vine and the vine dresser. Or, more strictly translated, the gardener or the farmer. They don't have that kind of distinction that we do in English. doesn't matter what you're raising, you're a farmer. So we have the vine and the farmer. The father and son are always primary. We need to begin with the father and the son before we move on to the branches. It's as we've been seeing in the previous chapters, we've been noting the inseparable operations of the persons of the Trinity. That where the Father works, the Son works. Where the Son works, the Father works. Here it is. Jesus is the vine. His Father is the vine dresser. They work distinctly, but they work inseparably. The fruit that comes out of this vineyard is the fruit of their labor, of who they are, of what they do. We're reminded of this in 1411. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. The works testified that the Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. That where one works, they both work. Behind this is the reality of John 5.19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the farmer. All fruitfulness stems from this soil. All fruitfulness comes from this soil. Not the nature of the branches, but the farmer and the vine. And then there's something else that we too easily miss right off the bat here. John 5, Jesus, in, in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's not how he introduced this metaphor, though. I am the true vine. What does it mean that Jesus says, I am the true vine? You begin to get some inclination whenever you recall Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and he tells them that the kingdom of God will be taken away from them and given to a people producing its fruits. And this draws on the Old Testament roots of this analogy. Isaiah 5 is a good place to begin. 1 through 7. 
Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He, he built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Looking for fruits to come forth from Israel, there being none, there was judgment. That's the constant theme of this vineyard analogy as we see it through the Old Testament. Jeremiah 2.21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Or Ezekiel 15, 1-8, The word of Yahweh came to me, Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it's given for fuel to, for fire. When the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire consumed it and it's charred. You see how he's, he's building off of, of what... Isaiah was speaking of, Isaiah said, you're going to be judged. And now Ezekiel assuming you have been judged, you've been burned. You weren't good for anything when you were whole. Are you good for anything now? And he, he concludes, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I've given to the fire for fuel, so I've given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So in all these analogies, every time this metaphor is used, Israel's not just the vine, she's an unfruitful vine being judged for her fruitlessness. And Jesus comes as the true vine. I think the fundamental text for this metaphor is Psalm 80. It's a plea for restoration and it then turns to this vine imagery. And I want you to notice as the vine imagery fades, where the psalmist looks for hope of restoration. Psalm 80, 8 through 17. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard. 
for this vine, the stalk that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. There Israel is being likened to a son. She's a vineyard and a son. Now listen. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand. The son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. She's distinguished herself now from being the son. She's been an unfaithful son and she's looking for hope of restoration in a faithful son that is not herself. The son of man whom you have made strong for yourself, then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we shall call upon your name. Restore us, O Yahweh God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Jesus is the true vine. He's everything that Israel failed to be. He is the anointed deliverer of the people of God. Here is the foundational key to fruitfulness. We are fruitful because Jesus is fruitful. Our fruitfulness is His fruitfulness. Jesus watered this earth with His blood and there will be a mighty harvest for God. And every branch grafted into Christ will bear fruit for His glory. So as we look at this metaphor, as it's introduced, we see not only this vine, the true vine, we see that the Father is the chief actor here early on. There are two kinds of branches, two kinds of actions. Those branches that do not bear fruit, the Father takes away. What this means will be made clear shortly. And then there are the branches that do bear fruit. And these the father farmer prunes so that they bear more fruit. The father is no lazy farmer. He is serious about fruit. If there's a branch that has some kind of superficial connection to the vine, it's not really there, it's bearing no fruit, he takes it away. And any branch that is bearing fruit, he prunes so that it bears more. Leon Morris comments, in a vineyard, fruitfulness is not simply desirable, It is imperative. That is the whole point of a vineyard. It's what the vineyard is for. And what is this pruning? Well, because anthropomorphically, we not only are spoken of as vines, we begin to think of ourselves as being this vine. And because cutting is painful, we think that this cutting of a vine necessarily involves Discipline. And that's true. It does involve discipline. Hebrews speaks of the discipline of our God being a thing we should welcome because it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 11. But even so, I think that answer is too narrow by itself. It's, it's too much of us thinking of the metaphor like we're becoming this vine. What must it feel like to be pruned? No, I don't think that's the way to think about it. What is this pruning? It's everything that the Father does so that we bear more fruit. Not just discipline. It involves the painful work of putting to death the old man, but it involves the putting on the new man as well. It involves the mortification of sin as well as the vivification of life. It involves us rooting up the weeds of our sin, but it also involves cultivating and watering this good growth of life and righteousness and holiness. And finally, we need to ask ourselves, what is this fruit? 
this critical and necessary fruit. There are several places in our larger context, and more immediately even, that speak of us in our mission as we're being sent out. And so then, naturally, many conclude, well, the fruit then is the fruit of making disciples. And that's true, but again, I think it's too constraining and too limited. And I'm afraid it too easily morphs into a sanctification by numbers game that the more tallies of converts you have, the greater your sanctification. And it forgets that while Paul planted and Apollos watered, it was God who gave the increase, 1 Corinthians 3. Others will point to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And whenever you go to Galatians 5, and you look at the language of, of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruits of the flesh, and you come back to our text, and you notice how Jesus has been speaking of the Spirit before this, in, this metaphor, and He will speak of the Spirit again afterwards, then makes that suggestion attractive. But I think Leon Morris has the best assessment. Fruitfulness doubtless includes both the production of Christian character and the winning of others to follow Christ. It involves everything that results from vital union with Christ. What is this fruit? It's everything in your life that's not of you and all of Christ. That's the fruit of being unified with Christ. So is Jesus then, we're looking now to verses 3 through 5, admonition, application of this, as Jesus turns from introducing this metaphor to applying it to the disciples, in verses 3 through 5, it's easy to miss the point of application because we don't see the wordplay involved when we come to verse 5. Verse 3, already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you. There's already been a word play we missed, but it doesn't impact us as much because the translation gives the concepts. We miss it altogether, though, in verse 3. The words you have for take away and prune share a common etymological root. The word for take away is iro. The word for prune is kathiro. And then, the word that you have as clean is katharos. You've been pruned already, is the idea here. The disciples are clean. There's a kind of initial pruning work already done by the Father. This pruning involves the work of regeneration as well as sanctification. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that a Christian is something before he does something. God makes the branch alive before he bids it bear fruit. There is an initial kind of pruning work of regeneration, removing the old man. That's a work of the Father. That's essential to this fruitfulness. They are clean, Jesus says. Remember this episode opened up with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he tells Peter, you can have no part in me unless I clean you. And then he tells them, not every one of you is clean. 
referring to Judas. Judas has been sent out. And you see how much more freely Jesus speaks about them. He doesn't qualify his statements. We see him qualifying his statements in in John at times whenever the disciples speak, like he does in John 6. Again, in reference to Judas, he's not qualifying his statements anymore. The eleven are all clean. You are clean. They are branches that will produce fruit. Judas is a picture of what Jesus is saying in verse 2. Every branch in me that confuses a lot of people, they take a metaphor and they run with it. Well, the branches are in him and they don't bear fruit. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? No, it's speaking of someone like Judas that appears to be tapped into the vine. But there's no life in that branch. Every one of us have seen that kind of thing in in God's green earth. Of something that appears to attach, but it doesn't have that real life drawing attachment at all. At one point it did. That's where the metaphor breaks down. But there are those who appear to be attached to the vine. But there is no fruit born. The eleven are clean, we're told, because of the word spoken to them, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, we're told that the Father caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it continues on at the end of the chapter to tell us that that life of Christ with which we're born again happens in the preaching of the word. We are born again by the living and abiding word, and that word is the word that was preached to us, the gospel that was preached to us. Ephesians 5, we're told that Jesus sanctifies His bride by the washing of water with the Word. By the Word, God causes us to be born again. By the Word, He sanctifies us. John 17, 17. Sanctify them, by, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. By regeneration and sanctification, God makes us fruitful. In regeneration, we're put in union with the Son. In sanctification, we enjoy communion with the Son and thus are conformed to His image. In regeneration, we're given the life of Christ. In sanctification, we draw upon that life that we have in Christ. There must be what we're being told there. Not only a union, you are clean. There must be communion for us to be fruitful. Abide. You have this union. Enjoy communion. There is a union that is grafted. And there must be a communion that is cultivated. The application of this metaphor is you are clean. The admonition of this metaphor is abide. You are clean, abide. What does it mean to abide in Christ? First, it means that the word which made us clean abides in us. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Second, abiding in And Christ means abiding in His love, verse 9. Abide in my love. And then abiding in Christ's love, and thus abiding in Christ, means keeping His commandments. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, those will be impacted further, but at this point, what Jesus wants us to see is that fruitfulness is impossible apart from Him. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me 
you can do nothing. I'm afraid that much of the activity of the American church is an attempt to bear fruit without abiding in the vine. We can do it more efficiently, we think, with our assembly line. The Word does not abide in us. His commands are not obeyed. We irrigate with spontaneous baptisms. We cultivate by appealing to the flesh. We fertilize with worldly methodologies. We grow using artificial lights. But I'm afraid that the result of all that will be that we have a lot more tares than wheat when all is said and done. Individually, rather than tapping our life into the vine... We're trying to tap the vine into our life. We want to be successful and efficient and productive at a number of things. And so we try to graft Jesus into our life so that Jesus makes our kingdoms fruitful. Rather than being fruitful for the kingdom, we want Jesus to make our kingdom fruitful. Saints, if you're hearing this, and there is a repulsion at that, if there's something of repentance in your heart as there is in mine, if you hear this, and you're longing, I want to be fruitful, truly fruitful for the kingdom of God, then recognize you can have this kind of hold over from that old way of thinking, even with this right motive. I want to be fruitful, and you think, I'm going to strive to be fruitful. That's, that's still missing the point. The admonition of this text is not be fruitful. The admonition of this text is abide in Christ. And if you abide in Christ, you will be fruitful. And apart from that, you will not be. There might be fruit, but it'll come in spite of you, not because of you. Following this, we have two conditional statements in verses 6 through 8. One is a warning, and the other is a promise. And you note that whereas before, it was fruit that was the distinguishing mark between the branches. Now we go underneath that to the foundational issue. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch. Verse 7, if you abide in me. Now, the warning for those who do not abide is that they are thrown into the fire. This is what it means that the father farmer takes away those branches that do not bear fruit. No fruit, then flame. This was Yahweh's complaint in Ezekiel 15. They were not fit for anything other than the flame. That's the warning. Now the promise for those who abide. They will enjoy, verse 7, fruitful prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Two conditions this time. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means His words abiding in us. The second one explains the first. What does it mean that Christ's words abide in us? Well, first, this means faith. In those very words. You know, Jesus 
rebuking the Jews in John 5, telling them, you do not have His, that's His Father's Word, you do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe the One whom He has sent. Faith in the truth of Christ is essential for the Word abiding in us. If there's no faith, the Word is not abiding in us. True disciples abide in Jesus' Word, and because of that, they have freedom. John 8, 31 and 32, If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abiding in the Word involves meditation on the Word. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The result of this kind of meditation on the Word, believing in the Word, flows into a kind of Word-centered ministry to the body of Christ, a kind of fellowshipping and worshipping in the Word. Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what we refer to as the regular principle of worship. The Word guides our worship. And what we're told there is we're to have a Word-centered worship. We teach and admonish and sing the Word to one another. And whenever you correlate what Colossians 3.16 says with Ephesians 5.18-19, then you notice that having the Word abiding in us is identical to having the Spirit fill us. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Abiding in Christ means His Word abiding in us. His Word abiding in us means meditating on it, believing it. It means the Spirit filling us. It means we have communion with Christ in the Spirit By the word of Christ. By the word of Christ, Christ teaches us still and we have communion with Him. We abide in Him. He abides in us. It's striking whenever you notice that these two things are parallel. Excuse me. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. And now he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Having the words dwell in us. By faith, as the Spirit ministers their truth to us, is having Christ abide in us. Which is having us abide then in Christ. And for all who abide in Christ and His Word in them, they'll ask whatever they wish. And if His Word abides in you, that will determine what you wish. They ask whatever they wish and it's done for them. This is why they're fruitful. You see? It's God who gives the increase. Why are they fruitful? It's an answer to this life of prayerful labor unto the Lord, abiding in Christ, Christ abiding into us. The fruit of the Spirit, 
both individually and corporately, come in answer to such prayer as is offered up to God with His Word abiding in us. Conversions come in answer to such prayer. Revivals come in answer to such prayer. Disciples are made in answer to such prayer. Lives are lived unto God before the face of God in answer to such prayer. Children are raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord in answer to such prayer. Such prayer is a fruit of abiding and it's a fruit producing fruit. If you abide, you pray. And when you pray, there is this further fruitfulness unto God. Fruitful prayerfulness and prayerful fruitfulness are the result of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. Don't pray for God to water your weeds. Pray that you might bear His fruit. If you're praying for God to water your weeds, you're not abiding in the Word. The Word's not abiding in you. And you have no confidence that you're offering up that prayer in the name of Christ. Read the Word. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Pray it. Obey it. And be renewed in your mind praying, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And your prayers will be heard. The resulting goal of all of this is the glory of the Father and the fruit born by union with the Son in the Spirit, whereby we prove to be His disciples. Verse 8, By this the Father, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Fruit glorifies the vine, which glorifies the Father farmer. You see, once again, the Father's brought into prominence in this metaphor. It's just, it's, it's I'd almost say blasphemous, To just speak of the vine and the branches. The Father is glorified in the Son. And the Son is glorified in His disciples. Bearing fruit testifies that the vine is true. And that the Father is good. Bearing fruit testifies that the vine is true. And the Father is good. So abide, abide, abide for this ultimate reason. Not so that you may be seen to be fruitful. Abide so that the Father might be glorified. Our passage ends with a transition in verses 9 through 11. From abiding in the vine in Christ to that metaphor fading but still being retained as Jesus is speaking of abiding in His love. We won't go into this too much, but it's almost as if the transition happens from a vine and branches to abide in my love to the union between a husband and wife. Because that's language in the Old Testament as well about Israel's fruitfulness, His bride and the fruit that comes from that union. But... Here, just briefly, as we begin, we note that we start with the Father and the Son once again. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me. And then astonishingly, Jesus says He loves us in the same manner. What does that mean? Well, as the Father loved me and I abided in the Father's love, keeping His commandments, you abide in my love. 
keeping my commandments. It relates to us being sent as Jesus was sent. Draws us back into understanding this in light of, of, of the mission, the commissioning. But why is it that Jesus is telling us this? Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Yes, this is all to the Father's glory, but it's also for our joy. This joy is part of the fruitfulness that glorifies our God. When you swim in Jesus' love by keeping His commandments, the result is not a miserable drowning. When you swim in Jesus' love by keeping His commandments, the result is the fruit of joy. And if, if that's not the case, your striving is likely a striving in your own power, not abiding in the vine, for the wrong kind of reasons. You want to be fruitful. You want to be fruitful. Emphasis on you. But if you recognize that the central glorious command of this text is abide in Christ... And that keeping His commands is a way of abiding in His love. Well, that changes the nature of everything. As uh, I think it's Luther is reputed to say, Jeremiah Burroughs said it, the Puritan did as well. How sweet are the commands when we receive them in the wounds of Christ. Abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ means Christ abiding in us. And Christ abiding in us means His joy being in us. You're able to rejoice not just with your limited capacity of joy, you're able to rejoice with Jesus' joy when you abide in Him. Saints of thoughts of busyness, efficiency, and success dominate your mind and drive your life, you're doing it wrong. Set your hearts instead on industry, faithfulness, and fruitfulness. And set your hearts on them in this way, remembering that your portion is faithfulness and God's portion is fruitfulness. Yes, yearn to be fruitful, but understand your lot is faithfulness. The admonition here again is not be fruitful, but abide. And if you abide, there's joy. And so I ask you, is there such fruit in your life? Matthew 7, Jesus lays down a fruit test for false teachers, but it's one that we can apply to ourselves. Beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like they're in the vine. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. If there is no fruits, there's no union. If there's no union, there can be no communion. If there's no communion, there can be no fruit. 
And the way to remedy this, if you see yourself failing this fruit test, the way to remedy this is not by striving to be fruitful. It's not bearing fruit that produces the union. It's the union that produces the fruit. If you fail the fruit test, the answer is not even abide in the vine. There's no union for you to abide in the vine. If you fail the fruit test, where you begin is crying out like the psalmist did, recognizing they were in fruitful vine in Psalm 80 that had been judged of God. And it's to plea to be restored. And the way that restoration happens is not in your efforts to be a true vine. It's by trusting in Jesus Christ, the true vine, who was everything we failed to be. He was fruitful. He lived perfectly unto God to be the righteousness of all who would trust in Him. That His righteousness would be imputed to them, counted as their own by faith. And He was burned. On the cross. He was burned on the wood. In our place. So that we. Might not be judged of God. Don't. Look. To yourself. To bear fruit. Look to Christ. Who bore the fruit of righteousness and who bore a mighty harvest for God watering this earth with His own blood. Trust in Him and the Father will prune you, regenerating you, making you new. And He will sanctify you, conforming you to the image of Christ. There will be union and communion with God so that you'll be fruitful with the fruit that endures and your life will not be one of futility. Let's pray. Holy Father, save any who are living nothing but an empty, vain, futile life right now. May they see the despair, the joylessness, the slavery that is all of life outside of Christ now. Despairing even of themselves and, and turn their hearts in faith to Christ the true vine. And for your people may we. May we repent afresh and once more. our busyness, our seeking to be efficient in our goals and aims, our ungodly strivings after some kind of worldly idea of success. Father, may we work heartily unto you, living before your face, with your favor shining upon us, seeking to be faithful Trusting that then we will be fruitful. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. You are the vine dresser. Your son is the vine. And we offer this up in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.